The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. This is the Insulone Podcast, where I, own Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode, it seems as like he's had a personal epiphany in terms of what he thought he couldn't do, but now he knows he can do. I don't know. I, I almost felt as if I was on the journey with Tony, simply just listening to that email. But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulon podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes, please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. Good afternoon. Welcome back to part two of the email episode that we did last week. Even though we recorded it about five minutes ago, we're obviously (laughs) spreading it out over two weeks because Graham said that this next email is, I think, three A4 pages, which already I appreciate whoever has sent it in. Um, but my bloods were kind of dipping during the last episode that we just recorded. They were kind of dipping. And that's something that I touch on a lot. It's like all hypos are not equal. All hypos are not the same. Sometimes you're crashing down towards two. Sometimes you're just consistently kind of dipping over a longer period of time. Some you may require 15 grams of carbohydrates. Some you may require one or two glucose tablets just to give you that nudge back up to the place that you want to be. But because I was kind of, because I was kind of dipping down, um, I just wanted two sweets basically to bring myself back up. And I left the microphone, went over to the kitchen, got the sweets, came back, and I was telling Graham how amazing they were. And he was like, wait, 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 wait. Say this on the podcast. Say this on the podcast. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm somebody who I like to try and take my own advice. But in this instance, I haven't taken my own advice. <laughs> and basically, I 99 times out of 100, I will say to myself, hypos are not an excuse to eat something you enjoy eating. Because I view hypo treatment much like I would insulin it essentially is medication. I need it for a very specific purpose to get my blood sugar back up. Now, I recently bought this packet of like uh, 
sugary dinosaur jellies the last, last time yeah. I was in. I think it was Trader Joe's. It's a, it's a, a uh, American supermarket. But they are just unbelievably tasty. Like, I usually just have chalky glucose tablets and I've had two of these dinosaur sweets still have the taste in my mouth and it takes every ounce of discipline not to just consume the entire jar because I know what that would lead to. But they're they're just amazing. And Graham said he would be addicted to jellies. I am addicted to jellies. This is the thing. Uh, There's a packet of sweets in Ireland and it's such a strange name because it's just, (laughs) They're called Athlone Sweets. And Athlone is a town in the middle of Ireland. And I obviously that's where they were created, but they come in a plastic bag and they're all, they're like pick and mix, but they are unbelievable. Like the sweets you get in the cinema. And maybe once a week, myself or Claire will come home as a treat and we'll split a bag while we're watching a TV show or something. But once I get the taste for them, my jaw starts to tingle. And I'm like, oh, my. it's like drugs. And that's the issue. I was just thinking there, God, if I was, because I can't stop and I'd have to have such restraint if I was diabetic because you'd know what happened. God, I'd be like, oh, but then on the other hand, oh no, I'm having a hypo, I'm going low. Let's go to the shop and get some Athlone sweets. Mm. Presumably they're from Athlone. That's probably I where they originate so. from. Otherwise, but every, every packet is different. Oh. There's no packet is the same. Let me look it up. Oh, are they? They're jellies. They're fizzy ones. There's like cola bottles, but then there's like these the, the strawberry things. And it's then like the like old the, fashioned pick and mix, is it? Yeah. Oh, I love them. Like two euro for a bag. Remember, they used to be ten penny bags. Yeah, were, and I used to call them ten penny bags. Mm. Penny sweets to be called. You get a, a sweet for a penny. But I, <laughs> me and my brothers used to always get them when when we were younger. It was like a ten penny bag, like a ten cent bag. Or ten penny before the cent was even there, and I, my my brother still slagged me over it. I went in one time and asked how much is a ten penny bag, <laughs> just because it, I had always just considered it this pick and mix bag, and it was just called a ten penny bag, bag as yeah. opposed to a ten penny bag. Try, I always um, thought a a ninety nine was ninety nine cent or p or something like that. It's, it's, it used to be. It's just a a, a cone with some ice cream in it and a. A flake put into a chocolate flake. Yeah, and, but yeah, uh, maybe it was. It used, yeah, it used to be 99p. That's yeah. where it came from, a 99. But now, sure, they're like probably 599. How much are they now? Uh, I'd say maybe like what, 253 euro. I suppose. It's interesting you're saying that there that having a hypo treatment being tasty is dangerous because you just want to keep on eating this. <laughs> well, that's it. And, and, yeah. some, and it, it's funny to think about, but. That's really how I want people to look at hypo treatment because it's like much like you would be taking insulin. You don't just always take an exact same amount of insulin all the time. Like it varies depending on like what you're eating, how much, mm-hmm. how much you're eating, what your current blood sugar is. And I want people to view hypo treatment like that in a similar sort of light so that it serves its purpose. It gets your blood sugar back up in the range you want safely, but also you're avoiding the big rebound high because the last thing you want when you treat a hypo is that big rebound high because it's like, oh, you're just back to square one, essentially, and you feel, you don't feel the best. Yeah. Um, no, it's so much you got to think about 
so much for just a, a pack of a, a ten penny bag. <laughs> yeah. Right. Will Will we get into this beast? Are we ready? Yeah, we will. All right. I'm excited. Um, at any point, Owen, you are more than welcome to just cut across, jump in, say whatever you need to say. And I have copy and pasted this wrong, so I am going to read it from the email. Perfect. Okay, here we go. This is from Tony, and it's a letter to Owen. Wow. And Tony Owen. says, Dear Owen, O-W-E-N, I followed your Instagram account. You're not off to a good start. Sorry to interrupt <laughs> you, but you're, you're really off to a bad start here, Tony. <laughs> I followed your Instagram account for long enough now to know that having your name spelt incorrectly is the most loved part of your day. Ah, uh, love it. Tony, Here we you've really come back from that one. Yeah. I'm impressed. I do love it. That And to give that a bit of context, since I've come to New York, like a lot of places, when you get a coffee, they'll ask for your name and they write it on the cup or whatever, kind of like Starbucks. Also Starbucks. But anytime I say Owen... They either write it O-W-E-N or when I say, oh, the Irish way is E-O-I-N, they still don't get it right because it's obviously unheard of over here. So I've got O-I-E-N, I've got Oin, I've got (laughs) Aaron, I've got Eric, and I've got Aaron, which I don't really know where they come from. So it's gotten to a stage now where anytime I get a coffee, in one of these places, I just really look forward to how they, how they spell my name because it's uh, it's always one they get wrong. Irish names well, in general are just difficult anyway. Have I ever told you that my middle name is Owen? Is it really? I didn't know that. Yeah. I took Owen for my confirmation. Because of me. A very embarrassing reason is um, my baptism name was Michael. And I was obsessed with Michael Owen, the former Liverpool oh footballer. Why am I not surprised? <laughs> you and Liverpool. So I went with Michael Owen and I spelled it O-W-E-N because that's how he spelled his surname. So that's your middle name? <laughs> Graham Michael Owen O'Toole. Oh my God. Get and then he moved to, then he moved to Manchester email. United. <laughs> Just get back to the email. Oh God. Okay. We apologise, Tony. I'm Tony. And this is a message of thanks to express my abundant gratitude for all the good that you do to benefit others. I thought I'd start by briefly telling you a little bit about myself and my story. I'm 29 years old and I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes 14 months ago. It isn't an incredibly dramatic story, but one that still lends weight to the argument that doctors are often the worst patients. I was in Greece when I noticed myself having an insatiable thirst whilst peeing literally gallons a night. Being on holiday in Greece at the time, I naturally thought I was drinking lots because I was hot and peeing loads because I was drinking lots. But the volume caught up with me and the fatigue set in and I distinctly remember the moments sitting in a Greek cafe when my medical brain finally knuckled under. I realised I had type 1 diabetes and immediately called my GP in the UK while still in Greece to tell him that I was convinced. Three days later, I was in his practice, having my fingers pricked, which read unrecordable high glucose levels. He arranged for me to see an endocrinologist urgently that afternoon 
And by that same evening, I was in the recess department of my local A&E in DKA. Talk about good timing. The rest is history. Being a doctor myself gave me a unique perspective on things pre-diagnosis. It was emotional in many ways to be the one on the other side of the consultation uh, than I'd been used to for so many years. My father passed away when I was 18, and so I have an intimate relationship with mortality and take nothing for granted, knowing at any moment anyone could be afflicted with illness. But never did I predict this. It took me completely by surprise at this stage of my life. At the same time, I remember feeling humbled by all the help from the tired yet tireless staff around me. And in that moment, I felt incredibly proud to work for and be part of our national health system in the UK. And yet being medical meant that I never felt the impact of being hit with the horrendous. And with that, I greatly emphasize horror of a new mysterious diagnosis that I have read many other people experience when they feel their entire life about to change. To the contrary, I knew exactly what was wrong with me and knew what treatment fundamentally involved. The logic of the physiology led me to believe everything will be fine. After recovering from the DKA and normalizing my blood sugars, I left hospital recovered, but certainly with some naivety. I can still live exactly as I did and just inject my insulin. It was in the ensuing weeks that I took a serious reality check. I struggled with getting insulin doses right. I struggled to exercise without hypoing. I suffered multiple and frequent hypos. I seriously started to question my direction in life and all my career aspirations. I absolutely experienced diabetic burnout. My dream from a career perspective for as long as I can remember was to be a surgeon. And post-diagnosis, for the first time, I started to think that this was now a dream out of reach. I'd always be too worried about my blood sugar levels or wouldn't be able to keep them stable for long enough. Being a doctor and seeing an innumerable number of times the often severe complications diabetes can bring about, I frequently worried about whether this was what my future looked like. I worried not only about me, but of the impact that this new journey would have on my fiance too. How would she cope? Is this fair on her? I'm sure you appreciate the list of concerns went on. I'm just having a little sip of water here. Halftime break, maybe. You're doing well, Graham. You're doing well. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, I wonder whether you're familiar with the cycles of grief, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and finally, acceptance. I feel like this model and feel I've been through the ringer of each of these stages in turn as I grieved for my former life. But of course, one stage is missing from the cycle in our lives. Rebirth, a concept of growing and emerging stronger than before. Now, this isn't at all a letter for me to explicate in great detail what I do and how I do it. In fact, I recently attended a seminar for people with type 1 diabetes and it left many a profound message ingrained in my psyche, one of which was 400,000, the number of people with type 1 diabetes in the UK, and therefore also the number of different ways of managing type 1 diabetes. Everyone has their own beliefs and wishes which will change what they do. I've personally opted for a low-carbohydrate diet and a high-exercise lifestyle. My latest HbA1c was 32 millimoles per litre, slightly better than the 124 millimoles per litre at the time of diagnosis. And I feel in the best shape of my life. 
I absolutely can keep my blood sugar level stable for many hours without worrying at all when necessary in the operating room. I've passed all of my surgical primaries and I'm now a member of the Royal College of Surgeons of England on the path to becoming the surgeon I dreamt of being. I've always strived for kindness and went into medicine to help other people and serve a greater purpose than myself, but feel being afflicted with chronic disease has certainly made me more compassionate and more patient surgeon and a more patient human being in general. Finally, it would be a miss for me to skirt over the topic without reference to those around me. I've been blessed to have incredible family support and above all, to have my fiance, who is without doubt the most amazing person I've ever had the privilege of knowing. I don't believe I would be where I am without them. Part of the reason I've come to think of the future with frank optimism is thanks to the incredible community of type 1 diabetics online. I followed and gained wisdom from so many wonderful, brave people, but in particular, your podcast and online content deeply left me believing that type 1 diabetes could be the reason to achieve anything in life rather than to be held back by it. You gave me real, genuine hope that it was possible to have type 1 diabetes and still do everything one wanted to do in life and to be the best version of myself, not in spite, but because of it. One of the most important lessons I've taken away from the podcast is one you've reiterated many a time. Use every occurrence as information to help you understand yourself and metabolism better. It's important to be kind and compassionate to oneself throughout this process rather than reactive or self-deprecating. I must admit, I'm always excited to open up one of your regular inspirational emails I found your mission very inspiring and it's obvious you've helped the lives of so many people, mine included. So, of course, a massive thank you doesn't cut it. But nevertheless, thank you from the bottom of my heart. I recall you often ask people for some words that you may share with others in similar position. And mine would perhaps be something as follows. Never mind the people who tell you having type 1 diabetes and live in your life as you intend can't be done including that inner voice inside your head. It definitely is not easy and at times it may involve a lot of hard work. I've learned to embrace change and see occasional sub-optimism as a friend who can help me to do better next time. Find your way. Love the new you that you can create from nothing other than your own perseverance and no matter what, never let go of your dreams. Continue making your change with all my thanks again and brotherly love, Tony. Wow. What an email. What wow. an email. I noticed halfway through you uh, sat down and your self-rising desk lowered because you usually do these episodes standing up, but I yeah. think you needed to take a seat just yeah. to kind of take it all in. It was yeah, some email. I, I actually don't really even know what, to say to that email, to be honest, like just so nice to hear. Mm. Obviously very nice to hear from a personal standpoint in the sense that Tony gets so much from the podcast and the Instagram page. And obviously he acknowledges the fact that like other people have benefited from it up to this point, but also so nice to hear that like Tony was diagnosed, I think what, 14 months ago. Is that what he said? Yeah. And already, it seems as like he's had a personal epiphany in terms of 
what he thought he couldn't do, but now he knows he can do. And I don't know, I, I almost felt as if I was on the journey with Tony, simply just listening to that email. And he, a couple of different things he said, one of the main things that stood out to me was the fact that he drew attention to the fact that the logic of the physiology makes perfect sense on paper and makes perfect sense on paper in terms of you take this amount of insulin, this is what will happen. You eat this amount of carbohydrate, this is what will happen. Tony is a doctor. He understands that logic, but also being thrown into the reality of actually living with diabetes, he realized, oh my God, this is a completely different ballgame. Mm. And very rarely will you get both of those insights in the same person for them to be able to compare. Somebody who has the insight and experience as a doctor dealing with patients understanding the quote-unquote logic of the physiology, but then also being thrown into the reality of, oh, I'm actually living with this thing now. And now I can compare learning and living. Mm -hmm. And they are completely, completely different. And we've touched on this in podcasts before, but that's where so much of the disconnect comes from when People speak to doctors or speak, people speak to endos or people speak to nurses or dietitians or nutritionists. The logic is there. The understanding is there on paper. But it's completely different living with it. It is completely different. And anybody listening to me speak right now knows that and probably has experience with that too. And sometimes I kind of get worked up about it because I'm so passionate mm-hmm. about it because it, it it frustrates me so much in the sense that the the mental and the emotional side of diabetes is so easily overlooked and dismissed in these types of appointments. Not everybody, but oftentimes. Because it's something that you learn about, yes, on paper, X plus Y should equal I don't know, A, right? Mm-hmm. But it doesn't work that way. And you're also not taking into account the reality of me trying to fit this condition into the reality of me actually living my life. Me dealing with stress and work. Me nurturing a relationship. Me traveling with my family. Me waking up in the morning and rushing to an appointment to work, whatever it is. So to hear Tony have both perspectives is fascinating and very rare. But as you can hear from the email, he quite instantly realized, holy shit, excuse my language, like this is much more than I thought it was, which leads to you being more empathetic, which leads to you being more patient, which leads to you being more appreciative of your life in general, but also what other people are dealing with. Mm. And that's a big part of it. Um, yeah, it's just an unbelievable email. Yeah. Thank you so no. much, Tony. I feel like I could just ramble and ramble and ramble, but like what an unbelievable email, what an unbelievable 
like journey to already be on. And for anybody else listening, you don't need to have to want to be a surgeon, but being a surgeon for Tony could be you being something different in your life, but already use somebody like Tony as an example, learn and progress and deal with and challenge your own life with diabetes because you can get so much from it. It's not easy. It's definitely not easy, but mm. it's uh, something you can learn a lot from. Unreal. That's why we love the emails. The Insulone podcast at gmail.com. Send them on and we will endeavor to get to them. Owen, been a pleasure. Thank you, Graham. Thank you, Tony. And thank you for listening. Always appreciate it. And look after yourself. Look after your blood sugars. Chat to you soon. Talk to you next week.